Hey everybody, James Shepard here. I'd like to welcome you to the Merchant Sales Podcast. I thought it might be fun to share the audio with you from a live event that I did about dominating B2B payments. I know for some of you, you didn't get to attend the event, or for those of you that did, you wanted to listen to it again, but it'd be nice to just have it on a, a you know, pure audio podcast version. So what you're about to hear is a, a recording of the audio from about a week ago. I just did a live event uh, with Eric Jenks talking about how to dominate B2B. Uh, let me take this opportunity to mention our sponsor. Uh, our sponsor is NMI, nmi.com. They are the sponsor of the Merchant Sales Podcast. I uh, actually have an episode coming out next week that is one of my favorites that we've done where I interview VJ from NMI. So definitely take the time to check that one out. But without further ado, here is our live event on how to dominate B2B payments um, and generate residuals in the process. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Eric, start us off for a minute here. Give us a little bit of your background. Um, when did you come to Paytrace? What's your background in B2B? Tell us a little bit about your about your story, and then we're going to dive into some questions here. Yeah, yeah. Just in a way of kind of rapport building and letting you know where I'm coming from. I started in payments over 20 years ago. Um, I, in college, was building websites for folks. Back in the day, when like a five-page website, you know, made in front page with a contact us email was good enough for e-commerce, right? And uh, so the bank picked me up to do some e-commerce integrations piece back then. And uh, it's funny because uh, during training, one of my first projects, they're like, hey, we need you to start making some phone calls because we want you to sell these things. Uh, wow, you actually got a Zon Jr. for us, look at that. Yeah, instead of the old knuckle buster, right? The two part right. carbon list. So, you know, our, it's been nice because this industry is always moving forward, right? There's constant innovation. So I know a lot of folks are feeling there's a lot of change right now. And that's hopefully what makes this industry fun for you. It's been what's been fun for me. Uh, moved from there, sold on the street for several years, was a part of a team that we, uh, you know, we had a pretty good system with uh, financial institutions, averaged over 30 d new deals a month for over five years, just selling selling accounts. And one day I'd be at the farmer's market and the next day I'd be at an in institutional manufacturing facility. You just never knew what was going to happen. And, and that made things interesting. Um, I started to get out of the industry. I went and bought an insurance agency and uh, managed an insurance agency uh, for five years. And that's where the division for B2B became really clear, right? Because like in insurance, you have commercial lines, very different type of insurance, different right. questions that you're dealing with versus personal lines. And I'll tell you what, even in com insurance, commercial lines, way more profitable, a lot more work, a lot more questions, a lot more due diligence, and maybe even some underwriting. But uh, those folks were just a lot more fun for me. Uh, several years back, my friend Scott Judkins asked me to come on as the sales manager here at Paytrace and train agents across the country on how to close more B2B business. And I've been here for nearly a decade. You know, and over that period of time, we've helped folks, you know, land over 40,000 B2B accounts. Last year, we wow. did uh, $44 billion in processing. Over half of that was in level two or level three. And so really niche market there. And uh, the cool thing is that, you know, for those of you that may even be nervous about the current market, uh, B2B largely recession proof, right? And continuing to grow. I think we'll look at some numbers. Don't take my word for it. I'll just tell you, you know, there's there's lies and there's damn lies and there's statistics, right? And I'll show you some source documents here so you don't have to take my word for it. But the B2B market is of interest to folks all across many verticals. 
because of the tremendous growth in it. So yeah, a little bit of background. So, so let's do this. So just to kind of start out, Eric, for those, you know, we saw the people answering the question that they've, you know, never sold a B2B account. So for yeah. those individuals, what is a B2B account? Maybe you can give us a couple of examples of like, what types of businesses are these? What do they process? How does it work? Give, give us like, like the definition of like, what is a B2B account? Yeah, B2B business to business, right? Uh, account, sometimes folks might call it wholesale accounts. When you start doing this, suddenly you're kind of like, I see B2B everywhere, right? And uh, it's asking one more question beyond the, the normal purchase, I think. And so that would be my first thing is for agents to stay curious, ask, how did this product get here? How did the water get here? How did the electricity get here? How did this get here? Just ask one more question. So um, oftentimes I like to tell the story that I walked up to an espresso stand, it was a referral, and I asked them a question, and I think this would be a freebie. Where do you use your credit card, right? Talking to the business owner, where do you use your credit card? And they mentioned, hey, our biggest expense as, as espresso stand is a dairy. There's a local dairy, we like to buy organic, we like to source local. In this dairy, we use our credit card and buy milk from them. And I said, hey, can you mind introducing me to them? Because I haven't met them yet. And a nice little B2B account, a dairy selling a, a product to a business that's selling to the end consumer. Oftentimes, you just have to drive down the freeway, right? When you start seeing all those white vans that are blocking you and creating traffic, uh, many of them are B2B customers, right? And so oftentimes, like we might consider in the trades, electricians, there's certainly going to be residential uh, electricians. Those are going to be kind of more your business to consumer. But there's a lot of folks that specialize in business to business, those industry, uh, industrial electricians. And so uh, how did the product get there? Uh, even in the high risk world, right? And so recently we've opened up new markets in, uh, in firearms and ammunition, right? And so maybe a gun dealer might be a great retail location for you but how much bigger to go up to the manufacturer, right? Or even the wholesale distributor um, and do take on that business. And so uh, it's just following that, that supply chain up one more level. And that's what makes B2B super exciting is because once you take that first step, you can say, hey, was that interesting? Okay, what about the next step up, right? So, I mean, hey, I might go from the, from the espresso stand to the dairy what about that dairy? Where are they buying their fertilizer from, right? Where are they buying their tractors from, right? And so we, you can keep moving up the ladder until you find something that you like, like a niche that hasn't been tapped into and take advantage, I think, of one of those, that first market segment you're talking about, get specialized, get into a vertical that you like and is untapped because many of this is largely untapped for, for electronic payments. Okay, so let's let's talk about this for a second. So we have these B2B merchants um, right now, and you may have a better percentage than I do, but you know, a small percentage of the of the revenue is going to card payments. Yeah. Why is that, right? Like, why aren't they pushing card? Why are they kind of discouraging card payments in a lot of cases, or maybe not even accepting it? Yeah, I mean, I think the largest reason is the perceived cost, right? And so um, a lot of these folks, you know, started out as like folks like me and you, small business that grew. And now they, you know, have a nice little operation and they've gotten by with checks and maybe their bank pitched an ACH solution. Right. And so uh, that that's working. The philosophy of it ain't broke. Don't fix it. Largely applies. 
And unfortunately, I think a lot of our industry is very sensitive to certain numbers, interchange being one of them. And they bring up these numbers like 3% of a $10,000 sale. And that really scares people away. Right. And unfortunately, I think what we're largely seeing is that's not the that's not the big picture view. Right. And so we're encouraging folks to maybe take a step back and like you're saying, understand the true cost of acceptance and understand the cost of the full payment. You know, and when I ask folks, how much does it cost to take payments at your organization? A lot of times these businesses, they have no idea. Right. And then that's an opportunity for the agent to be the professional, start asking some questions and let them see that honestly, all things being equal, when we have equal footing with these other payments, payments right now is actually maybe one of the less expensive options. I know I'm probably giving some folks some heartburn there and for, I'm not saying in all circumstances, but in many circumstances right now, businesses are losing money on check in ACH compared to uh, the cost of doing you know, credit card. So, so let's, let's dig a little bit deeper into that. I mean, how, how do you go about explaining that? So, you know, again, we, we find a B2B merchant, we talk to them, they say, hey, we don't take card or we really discourage it. And, you know, you say, well, you should be taking card. And they say, well, yeah, but the cost is way too high versus ACH or check. How do you respond? Give us the kind of the simple explanation. Yeah, yeah. Should- so I, um, I'll just say, first off, a lot of sales professionals just need to be get into that their old zone where they get comfortable asking some uncomfortable questions, right? And yeah. so like a doctor, you don't want to prescribe anything until you know the full situation, right? So we're going to need to ask some questions about them. So a lot of our agents have been used to being like, how much did you process last month, right? Let me see your statement. That's a very narrow view, right? So we might want to ask something like, what was your revenue last year, <laughs> right? How much of that revenue was on payments, right? So this gives me a more holistic view. Um, I also like to have encourage folks to get, stop looking in the rear view mirror and maybe ask questions forward thinking and say, well, now that I know you're up, do you anticipate that to look like in three to five years? Because that'll be really helpful if you're seeing somebody's like, hey, we anticipate doubling in the next year or two, right? Those are very helpful questions. Then you can start asking, how, how are those payments processed? You have someone that does that, right? Because we're going to start digging into some of what you just mentioned, the cost of the collections piece, right? Um, right. That's going to lead into some of these other questions, right? Of like, uh, how, is the, how is the organization's financed? You know, and a lot of times you can lead with some expertise. And we'll, maybe we'll talk about this more in a minute, but hey, Prime is at 5.5% right now. Those Man, the Fed just jacked it up another three quarters percent, right? Have a little dialogue about that. How did that impact you, right? And then right. now and, we can and, start and understanding that's like- Prime, obviously, obviously their, their credit line, that they, their short-term credit line is not at five and a half. It's probably at 10 or nine not, or you know. Not likely to be less than Prime, right? And a lot of times they right. won't even know, right? But what we're doing yeah. is we're- getting the information for us to be able to start making some good recommendations and also start being able to dial back some of those misconceptions that credit cards are expensive, right? And so, because there are these other factors. I I mean, I'll, from a personal story, when I had the agency, I had one person, my office manager that had to have the checks in every day, right? In the insurance world, we don't want, we don't want any delay. So every day we had somebody go into the bank, right? That wasn't cheap, right? We're talking anywhere between 10 and 15 hours a week of labor expense that I was paying for 
just to process checks, right? And so someone come in and say, hey, we could do credit card and take away that payroll. I would happily pay 3%, <laughs> right? So, right. because it, it was economically beneficial for me, so. Right, and, and that's not even, it's like, that's not even counting all these other costs you just mentioned, right? It's like, you just waited for 90 days to get a payment or 60 days. Yeah. And you had to borrow the money during that time. So you have to pay your interest expense. You have the cost of inflation eating away at your money. Yeah. Then you finally get the check and now you got to have an employee drive to the bank to deposit it. Exactly. Right. And then folks, oh, well, we can digitize that. Yeah. Well, that's expensive too. And the bank doesn't do it for free. You know, I think I saw most recent still over a buck 50 to do that. And we haven't even gotten to the benefits of like guaranteed funds. Right. And that peace of mind to know that that's going to clear because Man, I had some good customers, but sometimes the check went boing, right? And that's expensive, right? And yep. so I like the peace of mind of being able to know before I send the product out that I'm going to get paid. And uh, so there's multiple benefits that we need to take an attempt at uh, calculating so that the owner can make a good decision, right? So the, the stakeholders at the business can make a good decision. Because right now, they're uninformed. They think it's 3% right. versus right. nothing, free. Well, it's not free, right? Right. So, okay. So I, I want to shift gears just a little bit and talk about agent benefit. And I do have a couple of other kind of follow-ups here mm-hmm. um, about the, the tech and, and pay yeah, yeah, yeah. and bank card. Um, so when we talk about, um, you know, we talk about the, the agent benefit of this thing, obviously it's very different because we have the v, B2B merchants have really, really high volume, like a lot of yes. times, yeah, right. Yeah. But the margins, you know, they're not, they're not getting 200 basis points of margin like they would on say a cash discount or like an AB has their edge program. So talk about the, the profitability and kind of what, what that looks like as you're building out a portfolio to give them a little context. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly uh, there was a time before like surcharging cash discount that I think B2B was probably the most lucrative product that was out there by right? far, so, yeah. by far. And then uh, that's uh, been certainly eclipsed right now. Uh, there's some evidence to say that maybe that, uh, you know, those products are starting to see some price compression and coming back in. Um, you know, I hate to jump into like a broad thing about B2B, but I'll tell you just a couple things. Number one, retention is amazing. You know, that uh, we have seen that on average, our retention is more than two times. A lot of times it's closer to three times as long in the B2B market. Once you get something going, you really have to work hard to screw it up um, for folks to leave. So they stay for a long time. And for those of us that have been in the SaaS model, like recurring revenue, like that's just a dream come true. These are our ideal clients. Right. Number two, the the uh, this conversation lends itself away from the price conversation and more to the value conversation and allows you to price it at a, re, you know, a way to make it profitable for you to manage. And so from personal experience, I had a, a large rockery that on their slow months did 300K and on their busy months would do three, uh, over 3 million. And I had them at 72 basis points. And that was a really nice account for me, right? Bet, and they yeah. knew that that was, you know, like, but man, did if I, I drove up there all the time, you know, and when they needed something, I was happy to drive out there. It was the kind of client you want to have. Now, I think that's on the high end, right? But most of our accounts were seeing that over 50 basis points. And it's not to say we don't see folks that sell it cheap, but I'm just saying you don't have to sell it cheap, right? right. And so a lot of folks, you know, are used to like a penny or two or a basis point or two. And certainly there are situations where maybe that's what you have to do. Um, but in the B2B market, when we start looking at, hey, what value that they want, 
uh, they tend to want to pay for it. In fact, there's a, I think there's even some healthy skepticism when folks come in and they're like, hey, I can do all this for 20 bucks a month, right? They're like, what am I going to get for 20 bucks a month? My business depends on this service, right? And so, um, yeah, I think the, the, resi- the residual opportunity is much higher. Yeah. So, and, and so again, just from my perspective, when you're kind of thinking about the numbers, you're like, okay, let's say 50 basis points is kind of a conservative, you know, average number, right? So 50 basis points, the difference being a lot of you would think, well, wait a minute, I'm making 200 basis points on cash discount. Well, yeah, but your average cash discount deal, you know, dual pricing, whatever you're doing, that average deal is probably maybe 20 to 30,000 a month in volume and you're making 200 basis points, right? Well, if your average B2B merchant's doing, I don't know, let's say 150,000 a month, 200,000 a month, all of a sudden the, the, you know, the dollar amount of residual is actually higher there because they're doing four, five, six times the volume at a fourth of the margin, right? Yeah. So I don't know if that's kind of what you're seeing, but in my, no, in my experience, when I talk to agents with the portfolios, I don't think I've ever seen an agent with a B2B portfolio where their average profitability was less than an agent with a non B2B portfolio, even doing, you know, edge or dual pricing or what yeah, cash discount or any of those programs. Yeah. And this pricing is sustainable, right? I mean, that's the thing. I think this, uh, it can go on quite a ways and, um, you know, think about the opportunity, like, Hey, I love restaurant owners. I think they're some of the most resourceful people. They're fun to be around, but what about going after the restaurant supplier? right? Somebody had to sell on that stove, right? And the stainless steel hood, right? And then how about all the supplies, uh, industrial laundry, right? All of that stuff is like really good B2B business. And now instead of serving one restaurant, right? You're serving one wholesaler that's servicing 20, 30, 100 restaurants and their volumes funneling up to there. The economics are in your favor. Yeah. And I think one of the other things, Eric, I don't know if you've seen this, but in my experience, it does seem like, uh, I know our good friend Roger McNamara is at Visa now working to to increase B2B acceptance. It's like, it seems like the card brands are really getting behind this as well to make sure that it's a two-sided market. You know, it's like, like it's the opportunities there right now. I feel like, you know, most businesses do have a card that they could use to make these payments. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And if not, there's certainly a bank that's willing to help. (laughs) Right. And so... I have one more general question that I do want to talk about Paytrace and NAB for a second before we get into the Q&A. But um, when we talk about technology, so one of the things that I, I touched on earlier, one of the kind of drawbacks in a way to the whole shift to integrated payments is a lot of the people that are on here right now that have historically been payment processing professionals sure. yeah. have to become like technology professionals and solutions providers. And not mm-hmm. that, again, that's a good thing if they can make the shift, but a lot of them have kind of struggled with that kind of shift in identity. Sure. Yeah, and yeah. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. And I don't think we've ever even discussed this really, but it's like, what are the needs of the B2B market? And and I guess my a really specific question would be like, when you look at Paytrace as a whole, how many of these merchants are using just the Paytrace like as it is system versus sure. like an integration with their ERP or whatever? So talk about kind yeah, of the yeah. technology. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So. Uh, you know, just looking within our own pool, right? A um, little less than half. So like it's in the 40, high 40s percent use our virtual terminal, right? So I think for that second market segment that you said card not present, uh, smaller merchants either using that one of the apps or the terminal, just logging in, either swiping or keying in the transaction and that works fine. Um, 
our larger merchants are largely integrated. And okay. I'll just say our, our stickier merchants, the ones that stick around are largely integrated. And, and, uh, and you guys already have, I think, a lot of integration. So maybe you could kind of talk to that a little bit. Because again, like when you're talking about restaurant retail, usually yeah. the problem we run into is you can't integrate. So talk, yeah. talk about the B2B tough. side. It can bit. be tough, right? So, I mean, um, you know, obviously there's a, several options for QuickBooks integrations. And so we're looking to, you know, reduce clicks, make life easier at the business. So that's where this next set of questions as far as that. Uh, the cost of acceptance. How are you? How are you doing business right now? Right. I mean, if they're already in QuickBooks, let's start try to do you know payments inside QuickBooks. If they're already in an ERP, let's see if we can get the ERP to integrate. And certainly, you know, that can be a lot longer process. But uh, some of these businesses, quite frankly, are you know we'd be surprised they would be willing to do an integration themselves. Right. In their world, there's something yeah. custom that they do. There's a unique pain point and uh, those resources are not that difficult to come by and do some kind of integration. Um, yeah, but I'd say a little more than half um, our okay. business has integrated, yeah. Right. I was just curious about that number. I think that's interesting. And I think it just goes again to the fact though, one, at least one of the things I found, Eric, that is interesting is that it feels to me the ones I've done, it seems like B2B is a bit more open to integration. Like it seems like most of the systems that most of the B2B companies use do allow Sure. An integration. I don't know if you've seen that. It just seems to me like there's a significantly greater opportunity to integrate and it's kind of like easier versus to me, the smaller ones where you just get locked out because you're going up against yeah. Toast or yeah. Square or whatever. Yeah, you know absolutely. Mean? Well, I mean, I think you'd asked earlier, like, hey, for folks that don't feel like technical experts, like how do I go in and talk with these? You have to maybe remember that you're a business owner as well and you're paying taxes as well and you're filling out the forms and you're waiting in the DMV. Right. And so this is something that those owners are having to deal with as well. Yeah. And they're looking for solutions to get time back. Right. And so if you can make life easier by doing an integration, by all means. But if making life easier means let's just hop onto the Internet and key this in and be done, then that is oftentimes enough. So, yeah, cool. Okay, so we are about to get to Q&A. If you have questions, start typing them out. I know a lot of you already have. We're going to get to those in one second. Before we do that, Eric, last thing. Tell us about this combination with Paytrace, North American Bank Card coming together, kind of having this whole seamless experience. Now I've got contact information up on the screen with your slide. Talk yeah, to us yeah, about yeah. that and, and kind of where you see this going and, and what you have to offer the agents and ISOs. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think talk of the town beginning of the year, obviously in December, uh, we were acquired by North American. And I'll tell you, one of, we, we, it was an interesting experience for me. We talked with a lot of folks in the industry, and one of the things I like about North American is they're very aggressive, and they're actually becoming more aggressive. They're largely reinventing themselves. They're investing heavily in technology. Uh, I know a lot of folks may have had experience, especially if you're a veteran, you may have had some experiences years ago. I'll just say I think the NAB of today is very different from the NAB of yesteryear. Um, one of the things that agents are telling me is that like, man, the onboarding experience, the ability to just kind of put in a form, get that you know streamlined application, get instant approvals, multiple funding windows. I mean, these are things that agents were coming to us and they were frustrated with. Uh, right. Even uh, they have an aggressive, they are very aggressive stance on, hey, if it's not illegal, we like to take a look at it, right? And so there's even industry types that have been hard to place that folks have been yeah. able to do that. 
for us in B2B, like, hey, you know what? There's actually some B2B stuff out there that's considered high risk. And uh, it's been very helpful. We've seen some really big accounts come through and get get the thumbs up, right? And that's a win. So. Yeah, you know, it's, it's been really interesting for me too, just kind of seeing the evolution of the industry where, you know, for so long, I was kind of like, you know, I only want to promote process or agnostic technology for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, while that certainly has its place, I think a lot of times there's just so many benefits to having the full seamless solution for the agent to sure. sell, yeah. right? where it's like the same company is handling the tech and the payments. Yeah. Um that I just love it. <laughs> like it's, yeah. you know, I, yeah. I actually work with agents and, and it's like, oh, let's do this process agnostic thing and this. And, and again, I love a lot of process agnostic companies, but I think ultimately there's a lot of benefits to having everything under yeah. one roof. So I don't know, maybe yeah. you speak to that Absolutely. I mean, I'll just say that we're not going to abandon the our ISO channel, right? I mean, right now right. our partners represent a large percentage of our income and it would just be stupid of us to do that. So we're going to continue to support our partners and offer the different platforms, first data, thesis, global, et cetera, just like we have. And we've added this on as an option. And some for some folks, that's gonna be a great fit. And right. for other folks, it's not, and that's great. You can still come in and where the technology is a win for the, the merchant and for you, let's let's check. Love it, so. great, okay, cool. All right, let's, and, and again, we have we have uh, contact info up on the screen, so you can take a look at that. Um, yeah. Eric, I'm gonna, I'm gonna run through these questions and sure. I'll throw some at you. I'll try to answer some of them here. So. Uh, how many businesses have cards with 25,000 and up card limits? So I guess the question is, you know, are there a lot of businesses today that have cards where they could make these large B2B purchases? Is that a, 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 a is that a constraint in the in the flow of things or is that just a readily available thing? Uh, I don't know that it's readily available, but I think that maybe one misconception. And so, I mean, I'll just throw out a couple numbers real quick that last year, and I, I'm getting this from Visa Navigate. So if you want to look up, I think they call it 11... $11 trillion pie, Google that, I can send the link later. But 55% of the checks that businesses wrote were under $500 last year. So oh. 55%, and folks are like, how many How many is that? And uh, I'm just looking over here, it was uh, 2.9 billion checks, B2B only, not consumer checks, just B2B checks were written. And most of those 55% were, were under $500. So the, the issuing side is not a, it's not as much of a concern. Well, how about big ticket? 11% were over $5,000, right? So most businesses do have the, the credit. And we'll, you know we don't necessarily have to crack the big nut to start. Let's just start getting some of that business right. and uh, show them that it's a win. And I think that's one of the, I'm glad you said that, Eric. One of the things, the points I wanted to make that I forgot about was, you know, a big part of this is getting your foot in the door where these businesses, it's like become their, preferred, you know, they're, you're the company that processes their credit card payments, right? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. maybe that's only 10% of their revenue right now. Maybe it's only 5%, maybe it's 1%. But yeah. the thing is, over the next five years, I think we're going to see big increases. I certainly don't think we're going to see any decline. We're seeing increases no. there, no, right? Only so increase. no. Your portfolio is going to grow. So you might sell a merchant that's doing $100,000 a month now, and three years from now, they might be doing 600000 a month, and they didn't even grow it's just that they started realizing how pre- how good it was to use card payments and they're doing a million a month and yeah. instead of running 10%, they're running 60%. So, yeah. you know, I think, I think there's a big opportunity there as well to kind of establish the portfolio and then watch it grow as card acceptance increases. Yeah, card acceptance is going to increase. And my friend Justin Volrath pointed out that even people's spending habits are changing right now. So he's seen yes. an increase of the effective rate, but it's largely as people move from debit to credit. 
And so they're seeing some shifts there. And so we want to take advantage of these trends and help folks optimize that. Cool. Um, So Ray posted a question here at the very beginning. I think we probably answered it in there, but just to clarify, yeah, you know, if you're in, you know, if you're selling payment processing, all of your sales are B2B, meaning you're selling B2B. But what we're talking about is B2B payments. So selling merchants that are doing payments from business to business. Um, Exactly correct. Just a little area of confusion there. A lot of times we used to say, hey, let's not knock on the doors of the restaurants, you know, the shopping mall. We want to go to the industrial areas, right? So those are are your businesses that we're largely looking at. Cool. Um, Any good data sources that you're aware of, Eric? Somebody was asking about that just as far as kind of cost of acquisition and how do we find, you know, the data to go after these these people? Any any thoughts there? Yeah, I think um, you can, uh, Visa and Forrester came out with a document and I'd be happy to attach that. That's the title of the document is Total Economic Impact of Commercial Card Acceptance. And it breaks down the statistics. Um, like what those things cost. I'll be happy to share that. The statistic I love the most is at the end, 33% of businesses that switched to plastic were happier. Wow. Just happier. (laughs) Like how much is that worth? You know? Right. So we're seeing that. And maybe, maybe even we'll see what, what works out, but maybe even the marketing department over there, you guys could maybe coordinate and send out a follow-up email and include that document. I'd love to do that. That'd be great. Um, Okay. Oh yeah. And that's funny. There's racing. I got it now. So sorry about that, Ray. You're, we already got it. All right. Uh, let's see. Need to be like, um, what, what else does Visa have available? Uh, I know for a while they had like a lookup thing. Do they, I don't know if they still have that or what, what, what are yeah, any, other, any other tools? I think, I think we, we scared people away because they took that and now it's hidden, uh, behind the, behind the, the curtain. So we are asking if they'll bring that back out. And so, yeah, right now I think the, you know, it's really going to be up to sales, uh, sales you know systems to be put in place i i highly recommend i use zoom info a lot i know there's yes. you know a lot of different data tools that way but you're gonna have to start going back to researching of course the best way again just asking the businesses that you're at where do you spend right. your platform you know, i mean a lot of you on here have 100 200 merchant accounts that are traditional if you yeah. went back to all of them to see how they're doing and in that conversation said where do you where do you spend money at for your business where does your business spend money at and then get those introductions um, to your point, I think that'd be that'd be great. Um, what do you mean by prime? Uh, so obviously we're talking here about um, the interest rate that you pay on on debt. And so when you go to a bank to borrow money, that bank has to borrow the money from the federal government. So when the Fed raises the interest rate, you probably see news articles about that. What that means is that trickles down and now banks have to raise their interest rates in order to make money on the debt. So the difference would be if I get paid, let's say I let's say I sell somebody a thousand dollar you know widget. Well, if they're going to pay me that thousand dollars with a card today, then I have my money now. I don't need to borrow any money for the widget. If I'm going to get the money 90 days from now, I need to borrow that thousand dollars to pay for my payroll and my other costs during the next 90 days potentially. And so there's a there's a cost there. Yeah, and if you, I'm going to run do a little math lesson real quick if we have a right. minute. So because yeah, you'd asked me to do this, so I want Prime right now is 5.5 percent, right? So that's anybody that's saying it's less than that. Either their bank loves them and is giving them a discount for free, not likely, um, but they're probably paying more. And generally, folks mark that up, you know, three basis points or you know, three percent. So let's just make an assumption that it's eight and a half percent. So I can make eight and a half percent divided by the number of days in the year, 365, and I'll come up with the number. It's 23 basis points. That's how much it's costing them per day to have that money, 
right? And if I times that out by 60 days, so net 60, it takes me 60 days to get my check back from my customer, then that means it's gonna cost me 1.4%, just like right off the bat. Well, that number you can double with interest. Like right now, I think inflation, they're talking 9%, yep. but if you just use 8.5% again, so now we're doubling that number, you're north of 2.8% in cost between inflation and the cost of borrowing money to get your check or get your cash, right? Yep. Well, there's several interchange categories that are less than you know 2.8%. So that's where we can literally come back and say, if you're doing a net 60 environment, you know, with just the current numbers, it's less expensive to take credit card right now. Yeah, so. just giving your just giving your clients the ability to choose, hey, you could pay now with a card, even giving them that option. If they choose that, it's actually going to be cheaper and you're going to get your money right away. Present so. value of money. It's always better to get that cash in your pocket today. Um, talk a little bit about uh, the dual pricing and kind of these different tender pricing. Obviously, North American Bank Card with their Edge program. Uh, I was kind of curious, actually, when you when you know when that whole transaction uh, you know happened, has that been a conversation at all, or is B? I know oh, like B two B hasn't really been big on it yet, but is that a conversation? Yeah, well, it's interesting. B two B has been they've been doing surcharge under the radar for a long time. Yeah. And so uh, we're looking at you know implementing new technology to do compliant. Uh, probably dual pricing and compliant surcharging and give folks options. So we're actively working that way, probably a Q4, Q1 solution. So there's a lot of talk with that. And we think the combination of, and you've brought this up before, the combination of interchange optimization with right. dual pricing, right? Yes. Or interchange optimization with surcharging, obviously now multiplies profitability or even okay. just give merchants a more competitive price point to be at. And so it's definitely something that's in the works right now. Yeah, good. Um, yeah, Mark makes a good point about uh, here about the net 30. You know, so yeah, the, 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 the B2B merchant would kind of change their terms in a way. So they would say, hey, if you pay now with a card, then you know, that's great. If you need net 30, you know, we can do that. So it's, yeah, they're giving different options. I think Mark is, there, is the right answer there. Yeah. Um, Oh, let's see here. So uh, an example of monthly residuals. I mean, again, we didn't want to get too much into that. But again, if you take, you know, take a, a B2B account doing 100000 a month, let's say you got them at 50 basis points, right? Let's say that's $500 in margin. Um, and let's say you're at a 50% split, you're making $250 a month. Um, and then you can run that math up. Maybe your split's a little higher or lower. Maybe you're doing a million a month instead of 100000 a month. You can kind of see, you know, in, in that example, a merchant doing a million a month would be, you know, uh, $2,500 a month in residual. And um, I don't know, Eric, I mean, there's there's never a, there's hardly an hour that goes by that our statement analysis company doesn't get a million dollar a month statement. I mean, they're if you're selling B2B, they're everywhere. Yeah, again, and this is just looking in the rear view, right? I mean, this 11 trillion opportunity is not stuff that's on plastic right now. So, I mean, one of my our favorite stories is, hey, we set this guy up and he was doing $5,000 a month. We showed him how competitive plastic was. He moved more plastic over and he went from 5000 to $250,000 because I'm not just talking about payments. I'm talking about revenue. Like, how big is this company? How much money are they pushing through? So, right, right. Cool. We're going to, I'm going to do a couple more. If I missed your question, I promise I'm going to give this entire kind of all the answers here and the, all the questions rather. I'm going to give those to Eric and his team and they can follow up, you know, some of these questions. Um, you know, uh, let me go down here. Let's see here. Um, what, you know, uh, one of the questions I thought was interesting, and I saw several variants of it, you know, what about support? So like, I'm an agent, I'm like brand new to this, 
and I'm going to reach out and try to sell B2B merchants. Maybe I'm already with NAB. One agent mentioned that they're already with NAB. Um, what's the process? Do you kind of hold their hand a little bit? And, and what would they do to work with you? Like, hey, they get a big one on the hook. What do they do? Yeah, great question. Um, we want to be engaged as much as the agent wants us to be, right? So sometimes they want us complete, completely invisible. Sometimes they want us to be the subject matter expert up front. So call my team and let us know what you want. We'll do the demo for you. We'll train you to do the demo, right? Uh, we'll help you, send you to someone like James to do the statement analysis, right? We wanna get the tools in your hands to be successful. I mean, we believe that rising tide of B2B can raise all ships and we really want to encourage folks to do it. This is a longer sales cycle because there's oftentimes more stakeholders involved in the decision. So there's a bit more of a commitment on the part of the sales agent but I'm just here to tell you, it's worth it. I've been doing this for a long time. These are yeah. nice people to work with. They ask intelligent questions. They're not going out of business in 12 months. They're gonna be yeah. here and they're gonna add another location and then another location and their business is gonna double and your residuals are gonna double and it's it's worth chasing down. So the answer to your question is, really depends. You tell me how much involvement you want. Right. Um, I'll, you know, we'll call them and set up a demo and talk them through it and set you up as the expert if you want us to. Love it. Last question for you, Eric, is uh, I want to give you one more chance to clarify because there are several questions here towards the end about, hey, I'm an ISO, you know, can I still work with Paytrace? And I knew there'd be a little confusion in the industry about, you know, the NAB relationship. Can you clarify one more time about kind of these different opportunities with Paytrace as far as the NAB deal versus kind of yeah. I'm already an ISO? Yeah. And you know what? I think you mentioned earlier, industry is becoming more complex. And so I yes. apologize. We're adding to the complexity, but the answer is yes. I mean, if you want to use us as a technology solution, please call my team. Uh, we offer NAB now as a, as a platform. So if you're using EPX as an option, you can now integrate that in there, just like First Data, just like TSIS. Uh, we really don't care the functionality, the level three optimization, it's the same across the board. So qualifying you know, north of 99% of all transactions and their appropriate you know, categories. And uh, so the answer is yes, we can definitely help you. Um, you know, if it makes sense to do EPX, we certainly have the, you can see the email on there. We give you a couple of reasons why you, at least you should consider it. Take a look at it, see if it's a good fit for you. Awesome. Well, uh, there's been a lot of other questions on here. This event is recorded. Several of you asked about that. We're going to put it up on YouTube, hopefully tomorrow or the next day. So if you missed something, you know, jump off, whatever you can do that. And then, uh, you know, Eric, thank you so much for your time. Always a pleasure to connect with you. And I really appreciate your expertise for our audience today. Thanks, James. And thank you, everyone, for your time. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.